Blog Talk Radio. This is the Inside the Burger Shop podcast. This is Ryan Berger taking you through the next hour of a fun discussion at the intersection of sports, entertainment, media, marketing, culture, technology, and a whole lot more. This is our first show that we've done up in the morning, a little brunch with the Burger Shop. And uh, we're excited to be joined by uh, one of the great basketball minds out there, uh, Brian Getzeiler, hoop critic. Most of you know him from Twitter. Brian is the host of uh, NBA Sirius Radio as well as a contributor on NBA TV. Brian will join us at about 9, 10, 9, 15 to talk all free agency, winners, losers, Durant, the Knicks. What does it look like? Uh, in a couple months when this season starts, um, you know, the NBA has done an unbelievable job of owning the season after the finals, right into the draft, right into free agency. And uh, I guess probably about, about today it sort of you know, quieted down a little bit, of course, with the baseball last night, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it is amazing to see the, uh, the, the way the NBA has been able to extend their season and, and the conversation, and uh, the summer league is, you know, much more high profile than it's ever been. Uh, some big time players, obviously drafted. You even have players like D'Angelo Russell, top picks from last year, playing. Uh, ESPN, you know, covering them. So uh, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of interesting stuff going on with the uh, National Basketball Association. It is. July 13th, uh, the summer is flying by. I always uh, sort of a sucker for Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I'm a big fan of it. It's, it's, it brings me back to growing up and going to summer camp and having everybody come together to watch the game, uh, all the kids and the candy, and I, and I love watching it with my son going over the starting lineups and who's who and who's playing for who and it is uh, one of the great nights, and it also sort of symbolizes the, the middle of the summer for me, which is a little bit of a downer. It's amazing to think that we are halfway uh, through July, 
and uh, have about seven weeks left in in, a, in the summer that uh, feels like it just began. The idea that July 4th is 10 days away is uh, sort of mind-boggling. But, uh, you know, the game last night got off to an incredible start. Uh, quick couple homers, uh, first two innings, a lot of runs, and then it totally quieted down, and that's what the American League wanted. Uh, loaded bullpen, knew if they had a lead, uh, going into the sixth or seventh inning, they'd be uh, brutally difficult to come back from, and that's uh, that's what happened. Is they were able to shut the door with Herrera uh, into Dallin Betances, into Andrew Miller, who struggled a little bit from the Yanks. Uh, he was pulled for the kid Harris from the Astros, who made an incredible pitch on 3-2 to uh, strike out Asuna. And then, of course, the ninth cleaned up by Zach Britton, the wonderful closer from the Orioles. So uh, Hosmer wins MVP, uh, had a big game for the Royals, of course, uh, him and and Sal Perez. Uh, So shout-out to KC, who continues to (laughs) always have a say in these kinds of things. And uh, we are looking forward to the second half of the season. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what's happened in the first half of the season before Brian gets on. Um, We had a a great show last show with Brian Berger from uh, Sports Business Radio. And as we discussed on the show, next week I'll be headed out to Bleacher Report and Twitter Sports for uh, Players' Tribune Sports Business Radio Conference led by Brian. So excited to see him and some of the guys down there. Uh, we were also joined by Tommy D uh, of the Knicks blog, talking about the Knicks and free agency as a whole. Um, so great show uh, last week. Um, hope everybody enjoyed. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast, uh, search Inside the Burger Shop on iTunes, um, and push that subscribe button and share with your friends. Download it for those commutes, those weekend summer travels, and, of course, the ability to listen to the show live. Thanks to our sponsors, our partners, Hyper, hyperbrands.com, H-Y-P-R brands.com. Hyper is the largest search engine for celebrities and influencers in the world with over 10 million influencers in their database. Uh, you can find out more at hyperbrands, H-Y-P-R brands.com. Hyper is uh, really an incredible search engine where you can identify the right celebrities and the right influencers. Hyper is currently working with a tremendous amount of Fortune 100 companies, a lot of big-time ad agencies, a lot of big-time PR agencies, digital agencies, and it is a platform that I highly recommend everybody gets on and subscribes to. So, again, uh, thanks to our founding sponsor, Hyper. And, of course, thanks to the Crowds Line, a uh, big supporter of the show, and although we don't have any data to read this morning on how it's going with the CFL from the Crowds Line team. We're always excited to have the Crowds Line part of our show. The Crowds Line is the leader in predictive gaming. So head over to CBS or any of these other sports websites, and in the little box on the side, a little display box, there's an area where you can make a prediction. And everyone that thinks they know what's going to happen tonight, what's going to happen tomorrow night. And by making that prediction, you have a chance to be right. So don't be shy. Make your prediction. Go to the crowds line and let them know who you think is going to win by how much and see if you're right. See if you're right.
Looking forward to uh, a little bit later. Once we get off with Brian, we will do the Hyper uh, Heat Report. And that Hyper Heat Report, we look at three individuals and compare their data off of the Hyper Analytics. And we will look today at three uh, of the stars from last night, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, two of the young best players in the sport, American League and National League, and the MVP of the game, uh, Eric Hosmer, the first baseman of Kansas City. So we will get into dive deep into their data. But over the next six minutes, seven minutes before Brian comes on, I, I do want to look a little bit back at the first uh, half of the baseball season. It's, it's, we're now halfway there. And last year in the podcast, we did a lot of baseball. And, you know, we did a big season preview with uh, one of the big Sports Illustrated reporters, uh, Costa Kennedy. So what, when you look at the sort of the American League on a whole right now, you know, you have three teams with actually four teams with over 50 wins, uh, Baltimore, Toronto, Cleveland, and Texas. And you have probably the hottest team in the American League, the Astros, right behind that with 48 wins. And in the American League East, you have a very tight race with about four or five teams who can absolutely win it. The Orioles are two games up on the Red Sox and Toronto and seven and a half up on the Yankees. So a tight race that's I think going to get a little bit tighter. The Orioles are the best home team in the league, so they are a team that will be uh, will be challenging to beat at home. But they are a team that is vulnerable, a team that doesn't have great pitching. And the Red Sox, Toronto, these are good baseball teams. You know, we'll see what the Yankees do. Forty-four and forty-four through the first eighty-eight of the Yanks, and that pretty much tells you who the Yankees are so far. They're an average baseball team. They're an aging baseball team. Have had no Texera for a lot of the year, no A Rod, and they are no Elsberry in some cases. Uh, forty-four and, and forty-four, and you know. The great Bill Parcells says you are what your record says you are, and they are 500. They are an average baseball team today. So it will be interesting to see what happens with the Yanks over the next couple of weeks. You head over to the Central, Cleveland with a big-time run over the past month. They're six and a half up on Detroit, seven up on the defending champs, Royals, and White Sox, who have been fading fast. So can Cleveland, a, a city that, as we know, has gone through all kinds of depressing losses, collapses, and issues over the incredible amount of years, now uh, wins the championship in the NBA, has the floodgates opened, and uh, can the Indians, a team that has been much maligned for so many years, can they win this division and hold on against six and a half up on the Tigers, seven up on the defending champion Royals? And then you head over to the West, and really it seems like it's a two-team race right now. Texas, uh, 18 games over, uh, five and a half up on the Astros, who have played incredible baseball after getting off to a horrendous, horrendous start. They're loaded with young talent. I expect them to really push uh, Texas in the West as we get closer to uh, the fall. So um, that's sort of a, a, a pennant race that I could see really heating up in the American League. But right now, when you look at the American League, there are really five or six teams that have a real chance to, to come out. It is really wide open. And then you head over to the National League, and of course, you know here in New York, it's it's the the NL East is something that everybody is watching, and you know with the with the news the other day that Matt Harvey is out for the year, Syndergaard with a dead arm, 
Uh, and, of course, all the Mets resting last night with Terry Collins as the manager. Um, six games out, not a good situation for uh, for the Mets right now. And they, of course, have uh, to, to, to get – to cut into that, and will they make some moves? What what do they need to do to cut into that lead? So six games back, and funny enough, so are the Marlins. The Marlins, the Miami Marlins, tied with the Mets at six games out out of Washington. And Washington's been great. I mean, let's face it, 18 games over, 54 wins. Daniel Murphy, been an, as good of a signing as you could have. Strasburg, 12-0. and 0. They bring in Max Scherzer. They're loaded. And, uh, you know, I think they're a little dicey in the bullpen, especially with Papelbon. But, boy, they are loaded, and they're loaded with young talent. And it'll be uh, exciting to see the second half of the season with uh, the, the Washington Nationals. And then in the other two divisions, um, you have the Cubbies, who are, again, 18 over also. Can they break this ridiculous, crazy curse that they've had for all these years? Um, but they've struggled tremendously over the past 55 games. They're three games under 500. Still a seven-game lead on the Cardinals, seven-and-a-half-game lead on the Pirates. Now, the Pirates have gotten hot, and they were a team that was 14-13 out. Everybody said they were done. They're seven-and-a-half out at the All-Star break. You know, they need to cut this – quickly to four or five games and then kind of hang in there. But, you know, you have them and St. Louis seven out uh, of the Cubbies. And then you head over to the West where it's a two-team race. And I'm not even sure it's a two-team with how good the Giants are. Uh, Giants' best record in baseball, 57-33 through 90 games. They're six and a half up on the Dodgers, which isn't a lot. But the Dodgers have Kershaw, who is all banged up with his back. So the more Kershaw doesn't throw, the less of a chance the Dodgers have of, of catching the Giants. So you're really looking at three teams, the Cubs, San Francisco, and the Nationals in the National League, all with six-game leads or more going into the second half of the year. Clearly, those three teams, the Giants, Cubs, and the Nationals, are the three best teams in the National League. Can they all three hold on? You know, and, and if they hold on, you know, who is the favorite to come out of the National League? Because the Giants are clearly the best team and have some unbelievable pitching with Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja, who I always found overrated, but when you put him in as number three, that's a loaded, loaded, loaded pitching staff. And then when you add in the Nationals and the Cubbies, you have some unbelievable series ahead of you potentially. The Cubs with everybody thinks they're sort of the best team with Arietta and, and Lester. Reality is you put them up against the Nationals or the Giants and maybe even the Mets if they can get healthy they're not favored in a lot of those head-to-head games. I mean, their pitching just isn't as strong, even though they've added Lackey. And, of course, you know, Arietta has had an amazing run through 29 games, but he's gotten hit the last couple of games. And, uh, and be, that's one of the things I'm keeping an eye on as we move to, to the second half of the year is, you know, what does Arietta have? Left is he tired? Does he have a little bit of issues going on? This is a guy who was, you know, who was unhittable, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, is being hit a couple games in a row. So, um, you know, I I think the challenge with looking at uh, like anything else, who's looking at the National League, is as much as you like the uh, the division leaders, the wild card teams always seem to have a really big say 
in this uh, rush to see who gets there, to see who wins October. And, uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the second half of the season because it is going to tighten up and guys are going to get traded and guys are going to get hurt. And uh, where does this go? Where does this move? Can the Cubbies break the curse? Can the Cleveland Indians break the curse? There's so much going on in Major League Baseball after last night and just can't wait to, for the season to get going again this weekend and, and, uh, and a lot of exciting baseball stuff. And, and with that, you know, we thought we'd close the loop on the NBA and the NBA free agency and, uh, and everything around the NBA with the great hoops critic Brian Getzeiler from uh, NBA Sirius Radio and NBA TV. Good morning, Brian. How's everything? Brian, are you here with us? Brian. Hi, Brian. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for joining us a couple minutes this morning. I know you're you're crazed. How's everything going with you? All good, buddy. Everything's good. You know, uh, it's been hectic and busy, but we're starting to wind down a little bit here. Free agency is uh, is starting to wind down. We're going to get a summer league elimination tournament going soon, and uh. And then uh, we get enough time to rest for a few minutes, and we're going to get ready for the Olympics. So uh, no rest for the weary here. A little bit, and then we get rolling again real soon. It is amazing how the league, the NBA specifically, has dominated the entire calendar season. You know, right after the finals, you get into the draft. Right after the draft, you get into the summer league and the free agency. It extends throughout summer league, much more high-profile than it's really ever been. And then, of course, you know, the Olympics itself, it's an unbelievable amount of real estate that the league is covering, huh? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's become, I mean, people say 12 months a year. It's probably not 12 months a year, but it's 11 because we're going to run into August with the Olympics, um, and then September will be a little bit of a lighter month. And then before you know it, end of September, we're jumping into training camps. So it, it's, you know, you're really, you get very little time to breathe with an NBA season, but it's also a lot of fun that way. I mean, it's, you know, you go from one thing to the next to the next, and it's become truly, a, a you know, 11 months out of the year, the NBA is on the news radar, and, and that makes it, for somebody like me that loves the league and covers the league, it's, it's a lot of fun. And always something to talk about NBA-related these days, which is really great. You know, you get, if you think about it, between the Olympics and the World Cup, you really only get every other summer where you get a couple of months off because now with the Olympics, there's just going to be a, a mountain of stuff out there to cover and to dive into, and it'll be a very, very interesting Olympics as well, especially when you've got a U.S. team where a lot of your top-level players aren't going to be there. Let's talk about that before we get into free agency. You know, I, I was at the 92 Olympics in Barcelona, which was actually 23 years ago, was able to fortunately watch that dream team live. You know, there was no question if you were asked to be on a team like this, you 100% said yes. Best players and, frankly, the history of the sport, you know, being a part of it each year, it you know, kind of – gets pulled away a little bit, and then we had a couple of you know issues with the Larry Brown team, and then we came back really strong with the Shashevsky colangelo group. You know, where is this thing today? There's a lot of guys who have bailed. It sounds like it's a combination of fatigue and Zika. You're seeing a ton of it with golf. You know, is it as strong as an offering as it has been in the past with Colangelo and Coach K, or is it peeling away a little bit, and is the sort of opportunity – not as sexy as it's been in the past. 
Oh, I think it, listen, I think it's it's still as sexy. I think what you have this year more than anything else, and, and a lot of players don't want to say this because of, you know, you look back to what happened with Paul George's injury, and then you had, a, you had players, but Kevin Durant pulled out after Paul George's injury. There was a level of fear involved with that. And then Durant was, if you remember back, he was really almost mocked for being afraid of getting hurt and not staying with it and feeling like he had fatigue. Well, he ended up having some major foot issues. But at the time, he was mocked for worrying about his own health. And, and I do think you have a situation here where players are afraid of the Zika virus. When they're telling you don't bring your family, when they're telling you that the beds are going to sleep and have to have nets around them so you don't get bit while you're sleeping, there's some fear in guys. And, and I think you have <clears throat> guys that have some big contracts and big endorsements that don't want to jeopardize their career or their health. And by going and playing in the Olympics, especially some guys that have done it before, like a LeBron James. So the sexiness is off Team USA. Listen, Jerry Colangelo has done a tremendous job with Coach K in rebuilding this program and having a consistent, uh, a consistent presence at head coach with Coach K and being able to put some, some luster back on this program. However, you know, you were, we're going to make a transition after this Olympics. This is going to be Greg Popovich's team. And I think you're going to do, you watch, you'll see players that want to line up and play for Pop. Ryan Rio is a cesspool. And I mean that in a figurative and a literal sense. Security is going to be a mess. Um, you don't even know if you're drinking clean water. Rio's, it's, uh, they're not ready for what's going to be thrown at them in Rio. And quite frankly, I can't blame any player that wants to take a pass on this Olympic game because you're just going to go to a location where you have extreme doubts about the local, the, the local police and the local authorities' ability to protect you. Oh, it sounds messy. It just sounds absolutely messy. We're seeing it with what's going on with golf and everything. All the guys that have obviously bailed out of, out of the golf and all the language we're hearing about the golf. The one thing I have not heard much on is as the USA team, you know, look, we're still loaded. We're still bringing some serious ballers, but, you know, we're not bringing guys that are, you know, we're used to seeing. Um, the other countries they're in the same boat. They've all gotten older. The big teams, Argentina and Spain, have gotten older. I mean, they're facing the same kinds of things that the U.S. is facing. There's not a lot of teams out there that I think I'm looking at and saying, wow, they're a big threat to the U.S. because we don't have LeBron or we don't have Curry. I mean, look at what's happened with Spain and how old they've gotten. Look at what's happened with Argentina. There really is not a, uh, a team out there that you're looking at and saying, boy, they're going to really challenge the U.S. because they're loaded with young players all over the place. No doubt, and you have some teams that guys also are choosing not to play too. You know, don't forget, it's funny because I had heard rumblings that he could change his mind. But the one that started this whole thing about Zika was Pavasol, that he wasn't going to go play for Spain. Now you have a situation with France, who just qualified for, for, for the final round. You have a situation with France where Evan Fournier just signed a brand-new contract with Orlando. He's going to take a pass. He's one of their better players. You know, so it's, the thing is, and that's what people quickly forget with the U.S., we don't have a handful of our top guys there. There's other, first of all, we have a huge advantage regardless, and we're so much deeper than everybody else. There's other countries that have some big-time players that are choosing not to show as well. In the end, I will tell you that gold is going to be easier for us than it's been in a long time this year in Rio. 
It feels that way. It feels that way. It just feels like there's not there's not a lot of action, and there's certainly not a lot of teams that have the ability to to to, to threaten the to the U.S. team. So let's move into the free agency. It's obviously been an exciting couple of weeks, uh, um, a, a wild couple of weeks, and obviously you know we'll start with some winners and losers, love to get your take on, on a bunch of these. Of course, let's start with the big name, and you know that's what happened with Durant and his move to Golden State. Um, I was getting my hair cut yesterday, and the guy was mentioning how crazy he thought the move was, and when I really broke it down to him, you know, you're leaving a team in a market like OKC. Uh, you're not sure if Westbrook is going to be there. I'm sure they talked about it. I'm sure Russ said, hey, man, I'm not sure what my situation is going to be, and if that's the case, there's no way you could sign that long-term uh, agreement to stay there. And, of course, adding in an incredible opportunity to play with these guys on Golden State and to be part of that Southern California technology bubble that KD will now be a part of. You know, I'm super close to his agent and, 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 and what they've been up to over there. Now, what did you see when you went through this whole Durant sweepstakes uh, from beginning to end and now him landing in Golden State? Well, I, first, I, listen, I think Kevin, a couple things with Kevin Durant here. You cannot underestimate the influence that Nike had over this. this. Under Armour with Steph Curry has owned that area. They've owned it. And now they all of a sudden uh, you know, are going to have some of their market share in that area get cut into with Kevin Durant's presence. And, and you know, the sneaker companies are paying big money to players that are high-end players like Durant, like Curry. This was absolutely something that I think Nike got behind. From a basketball standpoint, listen, I, I think that Durant understood that if he wanted to get to Golden State and play with Curry and play with Thompson and play with Green, this was his only chance to do so. He was never going to sign a long-term in OKC this year. The money's too great for him next year to be able to stay there on a two-year contract with a one-year opt-out, which he would have been able to do. I, I think he looked at it and said, all right, because you know, a lot of rumbling now is that West, And maybe Westbrook was, wasn't interested in staying there with Durant, but was interested in staying there without Durant, which is, I think, what we're getting now. But I think Durant looked at it as, if I'm not going to be here, the other place that I would really want to be would be Golden State. And if I wait a year, one more year for Westbrook, and decide that I'm going to go at that point for whatever reason, I may not be able to get to Golden State. And here was a chance where Golden State had the moves they could make that they would be able to get him on board. And I think for Durant, the, the fact that it was there now and may not be there later, uh, and maybe it could have been there later, but it would be there without Andre Iguodala. Um, so the fact that it could be done right now, I think that's a lot to Kevin Durant. And in the end, you know, it's funny because people talk about Durant's legacy and all this. I'm not sure this will enhance his legacy even a little bit, Ryan. I think more than anything else, it may hurt his legacy. But the other thing is this, he's going to win. And, and, and I think he'll, you know, I don't know if he'll win a bunch of titles. He'll win at least one while he's there. It, it, there's too much talent, and you've got to pull it all together, and it's a different team, and it's not as deep. But I think winning and, and winning titles is what he prioritized here over everything else. Figure everything else will fall into place in the back end. The other thing I think played a big role for him is, you know, he, he, two seasons ago he missed most of the season with the foot injury. Past year, when you look at how people looked at the best players in the league and the top five players in the league, you obviously heard LeBron James and Steph Curry a ton. You heard names like Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook. Here's one name he didn't hear a ton of, Kevin Durant. And I think Durant felt very forsaken from that standpoint. 
and feels like here, if he's going to be forsaken, let me be forsaken with hardware on my finger. And, and so I think that played a role also. Durant wanted to be back in a, a big spot in terms of the public consciousness, and he certainly has done that here. We're talking about Kevin Durant. We're talking to uh, the great hoops critic from uh, Sirius NBA Radio and NBA TV, Ryan Getzeiler, and we'll look at Kevin Durant's social stats from Hyper. We see Kevin with almost 14.5 million followers on Twitter, 10.5 million followers on Facebook, uh, getting a ton of uh, engagement actually, though, on his Instagram with over 126,000 likes per every one of his post, you mentioned winning, Brian, and, and to me that's what a lot of this comes down to, and it's funny how the world and fans are, right? You, you kill guys when they don't have rings, then a guy puts himself in the best position he believes to win a ring, and he gets killed for quasi or quote-unquote chasing a ring and, and joining a team who just beat him. You can't have it both ways. You, you have to either say if winning is the priority, like you just said, then guys have a chance to go wherever they want to put themselves in the best position to win. And reality is, is that if he does go there and win three or four, his legacy clearly will be big time. It won't be hurt because people 10, 20 years won't look back and say, oh, he joined the team. They don't do it with LeBron. They look back and say, here's what he's accomplished. And, yeah, you know, as it gets later and later, there's that asterisk starts to be removed, and you start to look at the big picture, and there's no breaking the rules here. There's no any of that. He prioritized winning. And in this sports culture, prioritizing winning, that's what fans do. That's how you are rated. That's how you're ranked. And that's the decision he made. And I just don't see how people can kill him for making that decision. Well, I, listen, I, there, there's a lot of fans of competitive balance that are very, very bothered by this. But I agree with you to an extent. Here's the thing, and one of the things that helped whitewash LeBron, it wasn't just winning. It was winning and being the best player on your team when you won. And that's what's in question for Durant. Listen, if Durant's winning titles and Steph Curry's dominating while he's winning titles and he's just a, a supporting member right. of that. Scoring 13 points not, a game on the wing. Yeah, I hear you. Even if it's 17 points a game. You know what I mean? And, and but So if you're, you're going to be that, that, then you won't have that legacy. LeBron James won titles in 2012 and 2013. Now, in 2012, was he the best player on his team for most of the season? He absolutely was. But if you remember, they were up 2-1 in that series. They were in a tight game in game four, and LeBron cramped up. And Bosch and Wade had to finish. And Bosch and Wade did finish. And, but, you know, everybody looks back, that's a LeBron title because of what LeBron did in 13, where he was the dominant force that, that carried them there and was clearly the best player. It, it, the, the one spot Durant has put himself in that LeBron has gotten himself out of by going back to Cleveland. Now that LeBron's in Cleveland, how he wins is irrelevant. Just win. For Durant, when you throw yourself into the situation with Golden State, your legacy is going to be not only evaluated on if you win or not, but how you win and what's done to get your team to win because of the fact that you've surrounded, you, you know, you went and played. Your, your, I mean, the last three and the last two MVPs in the last three years are all the Golden State Warriors. You went and joined up with last year's unanimous MVP who had won the award two years in a row. So, and, and, again, you want to win, God bless. It's your option. And as you said, you didn't break any rules. And I don't have a big issue with it. I don't really think it's a problem. But by the same token, Kevin Durant will bear the consequences of what a move like this means on his legacy, whether those are negative or positive. It's a really interesting point and such an amazing conversation and so many angles, you know, to look at it and, and everything's been broken down. And 
I listened to uh, Michael Rappaport the other day just talking about how much time that people have spent on on KD and on this show and that platform and here and there. It's you know it's amazing and there's so many different ways you know to look at it. Um, so I think we've covered you know all that. I want to get into a bunch of teams who's won and who's lost, and this will be in no particular order, but more getting a sense from you on you know what your thoughts are. You know the the, the challenge. I think a lot of people who aren't as connected to the league as we are might see some of these numbers or people who are connected to the league and start to see some of these numbers. And obviously they're incredibly eye-opening. Um, of course, you don't hear what the owners are making, so that probably makes it clear why these numbers are eye-popping and they're going to be even bigger you know, next year. Um, but some of these numbers are obviously significant, and we'll start with the Lakers, um, who jumped out and really made the first uh, signing of the free agency uh, period, uh, giving a lot of money to, to Mozgov, 30 years old, coming off of knee surgery, uh, didn't play much in the playoffs. I was very high on him uh, with Donnie Walsh trading him from the Knicks. Um, I think he can really be a force to a degree, but at that number, especially when you look at what Mahimi and Bismack Biombo and all these other guys got, it's hard to understand what Kupchak was doing with Mozgov and w- with that team who runs like Randall and Russell and Clarkson and Ingram. They're fast, they're young. Now you bring in this big guy who's coming off knee surgery and paying him what they have. You know, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing out of Kupchak and the Lakers? I, it was hard for me to understand what they did this offseason in this respect. I, first of all, I know that you want to get veteran leaders to be able to kind of balance things off with the young guys. I'm well aware of that, that you're looking for veteran leadership, okay? However, when it's the hard part that I have with all of it is that was a preemptive strike in free agency. You went and signed a 30-year-old player for four years. I would have, you're going to throw that money at somebody. I would have rather seen them do it with the gumbo and get a 24-year-old player and a guy who can grow with this group in the way yep. that you want them to grow and that you have – there's, there's something there at the end of the contract where you can pull everybody together. And for Mozgov here, that age trajectory just doesn't fit. The other thing is this. You know, I think Mahimi's a better player, would have rather had him. Granted, Mahimi's 28 years old, 29 years old. He's a little old. He's closer to Mozgov's age. I like him better. And then, look at, listen, I think that Mozgov is, and I like Mozgov a lot, but I think, it's, you know, he's a guy that's similar to Festus Azeli. That's the only time for two years and $15 million. And I just think Kupchak went and overpaid. The other problem is that, you know, you're, you're paying a little dang $18 million a year for four years to be a babysitter. Little dang showed you last year that he could still be a very effective stretch four. The problem is you have Julius Randle in that spot. And if you're going to undercut Randle's development because you want to play more, I think it's going to be a problem. So you want to start him at small forward where he showed you last year that he can't really cut it anymore? Well, it's only going to be a matter of time until Brandon Ingram's playing in front of him. So, essentially, you know, and again, 31 years old, full dang. 31, and look at the amount of money and the amount of years they gave him. I understand what Cubs is trying to do. He's identified the fact, and I give him credit for this, that the Lakers are not a premier destination anymore. They just don't offer enough. And, And so, from that standpoint, he said, okay, we have to maybe overpay for a couple of guys, and I want veterans with my young guys. I can understand that. I just think he picked the wrong veterans. I think he went too old. The guys that you want in your 30s to help young guys are on one- and two-year deals. They're not on four-year guaranteed huge deals. That's not how you do it with veterans. And it's funny because I'm, not, you know, I'm going to go law at the Philadelphia 76ers, 
They did a nice job with their veterans. Sergio Rodriguez on a two-year deal. Gerald Henderson on a two-year deal. Bayless on a very competitive three-year deal. Uh, shorter deals, and Bayless is only 27. That's the way you do it with veteran leaders on a young team, not this huge money, four years guaranteed for guys that towards the end of that contract, while your young guys are getting better, are going to be over the hill. You mentioned the Sixers, and I, and, I, and I feel the same way. The challenge I feel with the Sixers is they, they, they're, they're not a free agent destination either. They're not a place where people are saying, boy, I would really like to play there. But the one thing that they have done is they have stockpiled an unbelievable amount of young, big-time, uh, frankly, top five picks. And I saw last night that Embiid is feeling great. Obviously, they're bringing Sarek over, it sounds like. Um, you know, with Simmons, they have a team that has a chance to actually have three, you know, rookie of the years. You know, Ben Simmons with over 550,000 followers on Instagram, we know from the hyper data. You know, I've watched Simmons a bunch in this summer league. I watched him a bunch at LSU. He can't make a five-foot shot, but his passing is as good as anybody I've ever seen enter the league, including James, including Magic, including Bird at that age. His vision is absolutely incredible. Do they have enough pieces to start to make a little bit of a jump in the standings, or are we going to see another disastrous year from the Sixers? Well, here's the thing. Okay, you know, it's it's the bottom when you got ten wins. There's obviously going to be some kind of progress. You know, that that goes without saying. Your issue is that you really have a lot of assets. You don't have a team. You don't have you. You just you have too many. Too many, too, much, too many guys in the same positions. So you have to go make a couple of deals to mix this thing up. The problem is, and this is one of the, the unintended consequences of Sam Hinkie's best player available strategy, is now you, you, you need to go make deals, and the whole league knows you have to, and no one's going to give you value. The other thing he did is he squandered a lot of the value of these rookie-scale deals, and that's a huge problem. Listen, right now, no, no one's no well in today's NBA. is a valuable piece. But no one's willing to give you full value for them because in a year you're going to have to extend them. And so if you're not willing to pay New Orleans Noel $20 million a year, you're not going to give value for them right now. And, and so that's the huge issue that they have to confront here at Phil is, you know, what do you do? What, you're going to have to take 70, 60, 70 cents on the dollar for certain guys, or you're going to essentially roll out a team that just – you know that that just isn't really a team. That is a bunch of pieces that you got to pull together. Listen, I like a lot of what I've seen out of Benson. Okay, but I'm going to tell you something. Until he learns to shoot, he is going to really struggle in the NBA. Don't let summer league yep. seduce you. He's got all the talent in the world. He really does. He's a wonderfully talented kid. But my big issue with Ben Simmons here is he's going to get the Tony Allen treatment. And, and you know, even in summer league, they're stepping off him a little bit. And it's yeah. making it much harder for him. He had six assists in a game last night. No one, they, they don't feel the need to guard him because he can't shoot. So he's going to have, that's, until that part of his game develops, you're not going to see, I people tell me on Twitter last night, Simmons is good for five wins alone. He's not good for five that's wins crazy. alone. That's crazy, yeah. He, he's not. He's not because, and listen, I think he's not going to be a wonderful player at one point or another. Okay? But it's, it's become a league that is unforgiving if you can't shoot the basketball. And so if, when I look at this team, Sarich most likely here is going to be here. You never know with him, and that creates father. But most likely the Pierce Sarich is going to be here, and that will certainly help them. He's another ball-handling type of form. But think about it. you got 
two ball handling fours, three centers. I mean, you know, even if NBA's healthy, what are you going to do? And here's the other thing about Joel Embiid. He played any level of competitive basketball almost three years. What do we exactly know that we're getting out of him? So I think here's the thing. A lot of people at this stage of the game want to look at the Sixers' process. And because they got the number one pick, because MVP's finally coming back healthy, because Sarich is coming over, they want to look at this whole situation with the Sixers and say, hey, you know what? And say, hey, you know what? This was successful. Okay? The reality is this. We won't know until it's successful. Three years down the line, we can see what they leverage these picks into, right? what kind of team they build, and, and if they can truly be competitive down the line, the strategy bears fruit. Listen, you got a wonderful player in Ben Simmons is the number one pick. The bottom line is this. The last time your team stepped on a basketball court, you were a 10-win team in an 82-game season. That hasn't changed. And, and yes, it, things look better there. They're starting to look up. But, but by the same token, you know, you got to get out there and play the games before you deem all of this success. And the thing is, and I, I caution Sixer fans, is, you, you know, Ben Simmons – is a guy that, you know, this year, what you're seeing in Summer League, and listen, some of the Summer League stuff's spotty with him also, although the defense, the energy on the defensive end has improved as Summer League has gone on, you know, some of the stuff, the defense has been spotty as well. But nonetheless, he may not be the first-year phenom that a lot of Sixers fans believe him to be. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And I want to touch on three more teams, and then we'll let you go. Thanks for having brunch with Inside the Burger Shop today on, on the podcast. And, um, and the first is the Spurs. Uh, you know, they signed Pau Gasol. Um, I don't really understand that move. Um, obviously, it replaces Duncan, one of my favorites of all time. But you know, the, the Spurs didn't need another aging big man. Uh, they need young. They need athleticism. You know, are they going to try and play Gasol and Aldridge together against the lineup like what Golden State is going to throw out? I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw that Gasol move? And are the Spurs trying to get younger, faster, and more athletic? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I think there was a big misnomer about why they got knocked out of the playoffs last year. They were a team that played big all year. And OKC came out in those playoffs, and they pounded them with size. And and one of the things that I looked at when they pounded them with size and what I think – I didn't think San Antonio's defense in that OKC series I thought was excellent. They, lo- they lost that series offensively. They lost that series because LaMarcus Aldridge was not looking to score inside enough. LaMarcus Aldridge was way content to take mid-range jump shots, and he was well-defended. That's that's his game. I, I, well, that lead, that leads to my point, though. That leads to my point. So, if you need somebody that scores inside, is there anybody better that was available than Pau Gasol? I don't think so. I think you know Gasol's gonna. He's, he's absolutely a good mover of the ball in terms of fitting with how they do things. He can score inside. He's a guy that can play at the high post and the low post. I, I like it. I think it's a good signing for them. I really do. To me, the most devastating thing that happened to them is Duncan retiring. Because they need they need a good defensive big, and I think they're putting my big issue with San Antonio. And listen, I get why Duncan retired. I would have I I, I wish he would have stayed for a year and been the first big off the bench. Because I think it would have been a perfect role for him. I don't think that that he was. A lot of people made him out to be the problem for them. He was not no, the problem. No he question. was actually part yep. of the solution. He was. Yep. To me, they're putting an awful lot of stock in what Dwayne Dedman can bring off the bench. But I'll tell you something else. Duncan is a loss. You know who else is a loss for them? Bolin Moradovich is a loss for them. 
Baranovich was a guy that if you lost Duncan, you could have had him as one of your bigs off the bench. You know, your Baranovich is gone, Duncan is gone, Boris Dior is gone, and you brought in brought in Gasol and Dwayne Dedman. I think you need another decent big there, and, and I don't know that you have enough inside defensively. That's my big worry with San Antonio. With that said, I think Tao is much more solution than he is problem. I, they're going to be a slow tempo team. They're going to walk the ball off the floor. That's who they're going to be, and they're not going to get they're not going to get out and run with Golden State. So I don't worry about the age on Gasol. My bigger worry is can he be who they need him to be defensively? Because replacing Duncan on the defensive end of the floor to me is no large decision. And I'm in the same boat as you. I'm a huge Duncan guy. I thought he was a, a huge plus last year. I mean, this is a team that had a historic season last year. And, of course, in the playoffs, you know, Duncan had a couple of bad games. I thought the last game he played, he played really, really well. And, you know, it's just I guess he's, you know, he's had it at this point. But it is – I would have agreed completely. I thought the first big off the bench with that rotation put San Antonio, you know, right there. They're, you know, they're clearly in a little bit of a weaker spot defensively. Um, let's move Move back over to the East and touch on two teams before we let you go. And, and the first is the Celtics, um, who have had this grandmaster plan, starting with moving Pierce and KG to get to stockpile all these draft picks. What we've seen over the past couple of years is the draft is nowhere near as I would call it's in more of a crapshoot than ever before. Guys that are getting picked third or can be getting picked 30th or guys that you basically have 30 games to watch in the, in a college season, they're maybe playing against two or three pros and then you're going out and picking. So these picks aren't, don't have the same sizzle and the same, you know, there was never a guarantee, but at least a little bit of, you knew what you were getting. Now it's totally out there and, Boston could not get anything that they wanted for the picks that they had. They end up with Jalen Brown, who had a really nice night last night, clearly got big hops to fresh frenetic Cal. They went and signed Al Horford to a lot of money. Um, What are you hearing in Boston? What's your sense of what's going on with the Celtics? I know Isaiah Thomas, free agent next year. They have a bunch of guys. What is your thoughts on what you're seeing with Ainge and the Celtics? Here's the thing with Ainge. I feel like He's played his hand a little too heavy. He's held assets for so long that their value is diminishing. It's not unlike what the Sixers have done. It, 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 he's got all these assets, and at one point or another, you can't, it can't be about realizing the full value in a trade. Sometimes it's about taking 70 to 80 cents in the dollar. It seems so you have to make a trade so you can better your program and better your team. And, listen, I know that he made a big push for Jimmy Butler. Uh, in the end, the Bulls decided they didn't want to do it. But it's also, when I look at what I understand that Philly offered him uh, for that number three pick so they could get Chris Dunn, I'm very, very surprised Danny Ainge could do it. I really am. I, I feel like at this point, I listen, Jalen Brown's going to be a project. Jalen Brown's an, an excellent athlete, but he's a raw, raw player. And can he be an elite perimeter defender? There's no doubt about it. I don't know that he'll ever be above replacement level as an offensive player. And for a number three pick, and I get it, it was a two-player draft and they had the three pick. But in that scenario, that's an issue. And I know he stacked the guard. I wouldn't have minded to see him grab Chris Dunn, who's a guy that teams were all over and had a ton of value, and see what he could do there. And, and to me, listen, I still think there could be something happening between now and the beginning of the year where Ainge makes some kind of deal with Philly revolving around getting Nerlens Noel there and having playing Noel and Horford together. Keep one thing in mind. When Atlanta was look, Atlanta had signed Dwight Howard, they were looking to trade Paul Millsap 
to bring Horford back and play Horford at a four spot. Horford has a four because of his perimeter abilities on both ends of the floor. is very attractive to teams. It gives you a lot of good size, and he's really much more suited really to be a four than a five. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Ainge ends up bringing in. I wouldn't think it would be Okafor because I don't think that complements Horford well. I think it, would, it could certainly be Nerland's Noel. And, and, and I, listen, I, Boston's got to do something. You saw what happened to them in the draft, the diminishing value of all these picks. I mean, you draft an extension guy at 16. That's pretty high to be doing, even in that draft. You know, so, and, and it shows you that Ainge has just held on to all of this for far too long. You know, again, I know he wants that ultimate star. In this day and age, that star doesn't come available that frequently. But, but there's many, many ways to skin a cat. And, and I would have figured out a way to get Nolan's Noel on my team. I still think he might do that. That was really the best that he had a chance at to do something. And the clock's ticking. If you remember, Danny Ainge did the same thing with Rondo. And although he landed on his feet with Rondo by getting Jay Crowder in that deal, at the time we looked at that deal and it felt like Ainge had to take cents in the dollar because he waited too long. I think he's waiting too long again. Feels right. I think it's absolutely right. And, 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 you know, and a guy that clearly has waited a little while but has now, I guess, stepped up his game uh, is Phil Jackson. So let's move into New York where uh, we got a big audience of, of Nick fans and, you know, and, and, and excited Nick fans and clearly looking at a team here that has way more depth than they've had in a long time, uh, way more star appeal and, and, and sex appeal, but at the same time a team that you know, clearly needs health, and every team needs health, but this is a team that has brought in a number of guys who have had a shaky uh, time staying on the court, especially over the past you know, couple of years. We've talked a lot about the Knicks on this show with you. Uh, what are your thoughts and what you've seen from Phil this summer? Uh, some people calling it the summer of Phil. Um, what do you see from what Phil has done, his actions, and, and what do you expect as the product on the floor at Madison Square Garden uh, come late October? Well, at that, listen, late October is going to be a, a good-looking product. Talk to me in March. <laughs> are we going to have healthy players? Here's the thing for, this, for Phil. I, you look at you have to look at each move individually, and I thought, exception of one move, which I'll get to, I thought he did a tremendous job this summer. The Rose trade was frankly a stroke of brilliance. He, Robin Lopez, for whatever you want to say about him, and I get that you have other centers that were getting you know of similar ability to Lopez, <clears throat> sixteen and seventeen million a year. So you traded him with thirteen at thirteen million a year. And Robin Lopez is what he is, and to be able to get a talent like Derek Rose where you have one year left on his contract, and if it doesn't work, you get out of him, and you get cap space, I think that's great. And Rose, there's no downside of that deal for New York Knicks. Lopez is a replaceable piece that they've already replaced. And Derek Rose, to me, is a guy that still could potentially be on that all-star level. Maybe not the MVP was at 11, but an all-star player. And the Knicks beat those guys. So they needed a point guard very badly. I thought it was a terrific job by Jackson. I love the Courtney Lee signing. Courtney Lee's a glue guy. He'll hit a couple open threes. He defends well. He moves the ball well. He's a, he, he plays his backside off. And so I, I thought that was, for prices that were out there, I thought that was the right kind of price for Really, I had no problem with that. My big issue <clears throat> with Phil's offseason lies in giving four guaranteed years to Joakim Noah. Joakim Noah struggles very much to stay healthy, number one. That's a big issue. Number two, the last two years that he was healthy, he wasn't that good. This is not the same guy that was top five in the MVP voting three years ago. He wasn't that good. Last year, he played 21 minutes a game. Why? 
because he was the fourth best big on his team. Again, the scouting report on Joe Kino and the other teams have is run, pick, and roll out because he doesn't have the same lateral movement he used to. And what you don't, do not guard him unless he has the ball in the restricted area because that's how poor a shooter that he is. It's a, so getting Noah and look at it, you want to take a flyer on Noah's health with a one-year deal and a one-year option, I can totally live with that. Take a shot. Why not? Four guaranteed years for this player. My God, and here's the other thing. And let's get this straight right now about Joe Kim Noah. A lot of people are talking about the intangibles and the leadership. The last two coaches that coached Joe Kim Noah in Chicago were backstabbed by him. You know, and Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau had a huge problem management. One of his biggest problems that Joe Kim Noah went around him to management to complain about the difficulty and the length of his practices. That's a huge issue. Okay? He absolutely did that, and he spoiled a lot of what went on with Thibodeau and that management. You know it was right in the middle of that. Then last year, Fred Hoiberg makes a decision to bring him off the bench and tries to frame it so Noah can save face. And pretty much says, hey, you know what, this was Joakim's idea. Well, what happens with that? Joakim Noah goes ahead and tells the media, this wasn't my idea, and pretty much submarines Hoiberg right then and there. He's, Joakim Noah's got his own agenda. Yeah, if he's on board with your program, it's terrific. If he's not, he can be a guy that makes a whole lot of trouble for a lot of people there. Now, I get Jackson's got a relationship with him. I understand he's got a good relationship with Rose. I, I, I see what Phil's doing here, and there's a lot of risk in a lot of ways, joking Noah. And that's why if you went and did him for one or two years, okay, I could live with, the, with taking the shot knowing that if it didn't work out, you could be out from under him. But Phil married him long term, and I think that's a foolish, foolish decision by Phil Jackson, considering the wealth of options that were out there at center. Guys like, as we mentioned earlier, Bayombo and Mahimi that were all going for, for the same kind of money. I know Jan Mahimi would have been a much better fit in New York. Um, I Bayombo would have been a much better fit in New York. You could have had them for very similar money that you got Joe King Noah for and had healthier players. That, that were better defensive players and that certainly could have filled that role and that you didn't have a lot of locker room risk with. Because make no mistake, you have locker room risk with Joaquin Noah. They also brought in guys like Brandon Jennings, you know, guys that provide some depth. They, they, they obviously don't have, didn't have a pick, but it sounds like they're able to get Hernan Gomez over. You know, they, they, they have some they, – they're signing a Lithuanian kid who I don't know much about, to be honest. But, you know, they're, they've got some guys finally. The question is, can they stay healthy? You know, what are you going to get out of Carmelo, who's going to frankly be playing all summer again? Uh, in you know in, in Rio doing his you know his his usual Olympics uh, tour where he makes his jump shots and doesn't do you know much else and everybody thinks he's the greatest player in the world for standing there and making wide open Olympic uh, three pointers you know they, they they have some some guys you know but as you said they are locked into a longer thing with Rose but it's funny that excuse me the Noah they're involved in a long term deal with Noah but they're in a really short term piece with Rose. So in a way, they feel like they balance them out. Although if you don't turn that Rose thing into a Westbrook or something else after a year, you're you're sitting there with Noah and you're not out of and you're not out of it by any means. So a tough sort of situation that they're in. Uh, but clearly, I, you know, I, I really like what Phil has done as well. Yeah, I love what he did with Jennings. I, I, Jennings is a guy who, at that price for one year, granted coming off an, you know, an Achilles injury. But at that price for one year, I think he's a very interesting piece. I really do. And, and so, yeah, that was a nice job. And, and you know, listen, Hernan Gomez is a guy that uh, that is very, very well regarded. 
He's got a lot of chemistry with Porzingis. They play together. And, you know, I know there's a count on Kylo Quinn to be the first big off the bench. That's not going to last long. Kylo Quinn's not a rotation player in the NBA. So, and, and by the way, that Kylo Quinn contract from last summer cost them their sure. And he would have yeah. been a guy that fit nicely. So, but, so I, but I do – and, and, you know, Kuzmiskis is an interesting, interesting player. He's got a little bit of Gallinari in him. He's got some length, and he can shoot it. And, and listen, I, I do. I like what they did. They may have to do a little more to fill out the end of that bench. But it's it's a different kind of team. It's an interesting team. It's going to fit the style Hornacek wants to play. they got guys that can shoot. They can run a little bit, play up-tempo. You're going to see a whole lot of Rosen Jennings. There'll be a team that takes care of the basketball much better. The mere presence of Jennings ensures that. So, you know, from that standpoint, listen, he, he really he had a very nice offseason. It's just that the Noah thing, you know, here's the thing. There's not a big margin for error, Ryan. And the Noah thing has the potential to totally submarine all these other good moves yep. because of the yep. length of the contract and because of, of you know, the fact that Noah, Noah's health, and even when he's been healthy, hasn't been that good. All that stuff's been elusive. There's a lot of warts on Joaquin Noah, and, it was, and, and that really I think we've lost Brian. Uh, we were coming to the end, so uh, uh, Brian, I don't know if you're still there. Uh, can you hear us? I can hear you, Ryan. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you. Well, look, I appreciate you spending some time. You know, it's unbelievable season, off season in the league. You know, you're the best. Uh, we'll we'll catch up with you soon. Enjoy the rest of the summer, BG. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks for the time words. Talk to you soon. Be well. That was Brian Getzauer from. Uh, NBA TV and NBA Serious Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Hoops Critic. Uh, one of the great basketball minds in the space right now, and always love talking, you know, NBA hoops with him. And a lot of stuff going on with the NBA between the Olympics, the summer league, the draft, the NBA finals, and of course free agency. So great to catch up with BG. Um, and I want to move over into, uh, while we have a couple minutes left on today's Inside the Burger Shop podcast, into the Hyper Heat Report brought to you by Hyper, where we look at three individuals who are in the news and we look at their hyper analytics and data. And the first we'll look at is the MVP of the All-Star Game last night, the first baseman of the Kansas City Royals, Eric Hosmer, with the big uh, Big Jack and to, to get the American League going. And when we look at his data, we see about 78% of his followers are from the United States with over 370,000 followers on Instagram and almost 300,000 followers on Twitter. So Eric Hosmer, a, a, a very social media-driven uh, player, a guy who uses social media a lot, um, and, of course, a guy who's fan base and social media numbers are going to grow significantly off of the night that he had uh, last night winning MVP in the All-Star game. When we look at the two other guys in the Hyper Heat report, uh, we look at the two best players in baseball, Mike Trout, the center fielder from uh, the Angels, and we know Trout with 75% of his following men, 25% female. Trout with only 37% of his following from the U.S., a, an international star, 5% of his social media following from China, from India, and from the Philippines. Almost 2 million followers on Twitter, a million followers on Instagram, uh, another 450,000 on Facebook. Trout is 
not using social media a ton, but when he uses it, getting really good engagement. Interesting. He's also on Vine, and by far his biggest engagement is on Vine, and I'm sure that has to do with his unbelievable catches and all the stuff that he's able to do in center field. So that is uh, where the social media numbers look like for Mike Trout. And then we look at uh, the best player in the sport in the National League, and that's Bryce Harper. And Bryce with 78% of a following of males and 70% of that following here in the U.S. with 7.5 in the U.K. When you look at Bryce's uh, following, by far his biggest channel is on the Instagram with over a million followers, excuse me, a little less than a million followers on Instagram and getting about 40,000 likes for every one of his posts. And, of course, the thing about Bryce Harper that you know is he drives the youth. A lot of young kids love him. But when you look at his social media data, you see that his following 33 to 39 and 26 to 32 is really the bulk of the people who follow Bryce Harbor, and a lot of people think the people who love Bryce Harbor are the you know very very young kids, but that's actually uh, incorrect from the standpoint of his social media following. So interesting to look at three players, three stars from the All Star game last night. First baseman from the Royals, Eric Hosmer. Center fielder Mike Trout from the Angels, and. Uh, and the outfielder from the Washington Nationals, Bryce Harper. So that's your hyper heat report here on July 13th. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening to the show today. Thanks to Hyper for their great data. Thanks to Crowdsline for their continued support. And, of course, the predictive gaming aspect of it. Thanks to BG, the hoops critic, Brian Getzauer, for coming on and spending 45 minutes with us on breakfast or brunch with Inside the Burger Shop podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed uh, the chat today. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Have a great week, a tremendous weekend, a nice summer weekend. And as my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say, adios. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes the podcast, here comes your host, the Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast, and any way you want to do it, listen to the show, Ron got the insights, the Burger Shop, you know, Burger